Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Hello, everyone. This is actually the 153rd Canada Day celebration, starting back in 1867. And of course, July 4th, it'll be the 245th for the United States. Coming up on our 250th, we've got to start planning. But today is another very special moment because it's the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Canadian consulate here in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, serving our whole Midwest region. I want to invite my good friend, the Consul General Arya Deluya, to join me and uh, kick off this day for all of us here celebrating Canada Day. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, it's really a pleasure to be with you and, and with uh, all those watching in um, on this beautiful summer afternoon. Um, thank you, Global Minnesota, as well, for hosting this event and working with us to uh, put this together. Um, today marks, in fact, uh, a couple of other holidays. I mean, yes, it is Canada Day, and you correctly noted, uh, Mark, that uh, we are 153 years old today. Um, but it's also today the uh, entry into force of the new Canada-US-Mexico trade agreement that succeeds and builds upon NAFTA, or as you would call it, the US-Mexico-Canada agreement. Um, and you rightly pointed out that today is the, or, or this year really, is the 50th anniversary since we opened our Consulate General here in the Upper Midwest. And, uh, and I have to be candid, it's, it's a real pleasure to be in this part of the United States and serving again in the United States. It's my second tour as a diplomat here. Um, and to be in, Canada, in the United States and Minnesota at a time of uh, such dynamism in our relationship. Um, I don't have to tell anyone watching that Minnesota is a special place. Its relationship with Canada, I think, is emblematic of the overall U.S.-Canada relationship. Um, we share a history that spans centuries. Uh, for centuries, this region of the continent has held spiritual and strategic significance for Indigenous peoples, who used our waterways that we uh, manage today for transportation, food, and trade. In the 17th and 18th centuries, voyagers from Canada made their way to this region and are responsible for many of the place names that you are very well acquainted with, like Duluth, um, Malax, or as it's properly pronounced in French, Milac, which actually literally means a thousand lakes, Faribault, Grand Marais, um, throughout this state and indeed others in the immediate region. In 1909, more than 100 years ago, we signed the world's first international environmental treaty, the Boundary Waters Treaty. As a result, as I alluded to, we collaborate to protect our shared waterways, like the Great Lakes, the Rainy River, Lake of the Woods, and the Boundary Waters Conservation Area, Quetico. Um, we also, as you alluded to, Mark, cooperate to ensure security at our border and to facilitate the legitimate movement of people and goods across that border. Minnesota enjoys mutual aid agreements with the neighboring provinces of Manitoba and uh, Ontario. And throughout uh, our past, uh, these three jurisdictions have come to one another's assistance in hard times, most recently, um, and it gives me a chance to acknowledge the great work of Minnesota Power, last November when an early winter struck Manitoba, particularly southern Manitoba, and left many southern Manitobans without power and in their worst uh, power outage um, in living memory. And Minnesota Power crews came in and tried to help Manitobans restore their service and, and be reconnected. Um, Canada's Minnesota's top international customer. Large volumes of trade cross into the state, including through the Rainier Rail Crossing in the Port of Duluth, which marks the terminus, of course, of the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway. We'd like to say we make many things together. Oats grown sustainably in Saskatchewan, for example, are used by General Mills to produce Cheerios that we all enjoy. U.S. corn and soybeans become feed for Canadian livestock and biofuel for our vehicles. Buses are built jointly in Manitoba and Minnesota for use in public transportation networks across the continent. We are energy partners as well. Minnesota relies on clean hydroelectric power from Canada as a reliable source of energy. On June 1st, just a few days ago, the Great Northern Transmission Line was energized between Manitoba Hydro and Minnesota Power. Nearly all the oil that's refined in Minnesota, including the jet fuel, jet fuel used at MSP Airport, 
comes from Canada. I'm really honored today to speak with so many of our partners and speakers who are sharing the stage with us today. Um, they will no doubt capture, as I have tried, uh, the special and unique characteristics of the Canada-Minnesota relationship. And now I'd like to turn to a special video uh, that I'd like to introduce um, from the governor of Minnesota, the Honorable Tim Walls, uh, followed by the director of Minnesota's trade office and chief of protocol for the state, Gabrielle Gerbeau. Hello, everyone. This is Minnesota Governor Tim Walls, wishing you the warmest greetings on this Canada Day. I'm happy to be joining you, albeit virtually, on this happy occasion to mark the 50th anniversary of the Consulate General's opening in Minnesota. It's true that Canada and Minnesota share a border and are therefore inherently bonded, but our friendship extends much deeper than that. We share history, trade, investment, tourism, education, culture, hockey, rivalries, and much more. Our relationship extends from private sector investments by Canadian companies that employ thousands of Minnesotans to Minnesota-based companies that have invested across Canada. Our trade routes extend to all kinds of goods and through all modes of transportation, from barges traveling the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway to commercial truckers crossing the border, to the Rainier Rail crossings, the busiest in North America. And of course, this year we find ourselves in partnership as we battle one of our biggest challenges yet, the global COVID-19 pandemic. We bond together in these difficult times to get through these hardships as one people, united in protecting our most vulnerable, supporting our businesses, and drawing inspiration from the grit and resilience of our citizens. So here's to the next 50 years of our friendship. I look forward to the good days we'll share ahead. Thank you, Governor Waltz, for that important message. And please join me in greeting our state's Minnesota Trade Office's director, Gabrielle Gerbeau, to talk with us about that important, most important of our trading relationships between Minnesota and Canada. Thank you, Gabrielle, for joining us here today. You know, we were all proud of that fact that we're that biggest partner, but how do you view it as our state's trade director? Is that a, a lifelong accomplishment? Is it something we're building on? How are we doing in that relationship as we look back maybe over these 50 years? Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for having me here today. Thank you, Mark. Consul de Luya, merci beaucoup. Uh, to all your team also of the consulate that have been so kind and so helpful to us in all these years of working together. Of course, my fellow panelists, hello to all of you. And thank you to Global Minnesota for having this great event today too. Uh, you know, today is an important date. Uh, we're celebrating three days, three things, and it's historical for the three matters. One is Canada Day. Uh, second is the 50th anniversary of our uh, consulate in Minneapolis. And last but not least, the USMCA, of course, that is today enters into force. So, you know, our relationship with Canada is so natural that how many times have I gone to a business and asked, do you export? And they say, no. So do you sell to Canada? And I say, yes. And that means that they really feel that the relationship between the Canada uh, uh, people and the, and the geography, not only the most, uh, the closest um, provinces, but as a whole, is being historical for years, even before NAFTA. So it's not something that suddenly came up because of a trade, trade agreement. It, it has been there for years and for decades. You know, for Canada, they, the trade and investment are a vital part of Minnesota economy. And if we're talking about pure trade, Canada is number one partner of Minnesota. Just to give you an idea, last year we exported to the world $22 billion. Well, with Canada, it was $4.7 And it has been like that for years, our number one export market. Inside of Canada, Ontario is our, like, we export more goods to Ontario than we do to China. So you can at least try to fathom the intensity of that relationship in trade. The rest of the, of the, of the provinces are, are also very important. And by order, you know, we, we do Manitoba first, Alberta, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, and Quebec. But it's not only about the trade and the export of goods. At the end of the day, is that investment that we have on each other. Canada invests in Minnesota. And just to give you an idea, there are more than 80 Canadian companies with 300 business locations in Minnesota. And as a reciprocal city, of course, we have 50 Minnesota companies operating with more than 2,000 business locations in Canada. 
that creates 24,000 jobs that Canadian companies come here and they help Minnesota to really get into that trade level that we need to be in the major players. You know, as natural as the relationship may seem, and it is a natural relationship, there is also a great partnership, not only at the trade level, but also, of course, cultural. And we will hear from the rest of the panelists because each of them, I'm sure they will develop a little bit more of those topics. But it has been the great partnership with the Consulate of Canada in Minneapolis. You know, the fact that Canada decided to locate one of its consulates here in Minnesota, it shows a commitment at all levels. And that's why happy anniversary, Consulate of Canada. We offer our thanks and gratitude for this diplomatic presence and the tremendous support and collaboration we received to strengthen our cross-border ties and the Minnesota-Canada partnership. And then, of course, we cannot even fathom this day without mentioning the USMCA, right? Again, we had a NAFTA before, and, and just to give you an idea, in these last two years in the trade arena, it's been a roller coaster of emotion. I mean, we started one morning with, uh, we are renegotiating NAFTA because it needs to be modernized. And suddenly we went into a tariff uh, round and then we had a countermeasures round and then the ratification of the USMCA. And now finally it's coming to, to something that everybody can understand and everybody can benefit from it because there is a benefit. Again, with Canada, we had relationships before NAFTA and before the USMCA, but you know, these agreements supports the balance and reciprocal trade and a future economic growth, you know, in the North America region, which contains improvements and, and modernized approaches uh, in many in many sectors, but and in many parts of, of the trade relationship, but especially, you know, the rules of origin, the agricultural market access, uh, intellectual property, the famous digital trade, financial services. You know, these enhancements are expected to create more jobs, provide stronger labor protections, and expand market access, and, and of course lead to new opportunities, which is at the end what it's all about, right? So this agreement in the USMCA is expected to have a positive uh, impact in Minnesota, and it just sets up a framework for trade and adds market stability for Minnesota farmers, manufacturers, service providers, and at the end of the day, you know, it incre increases the sales uh, in Canada and Mexico. Um, I don't want to go into the details of the agreement itself, or of course, in the duty-free access for the products that are originating in this specific area of the world. But I think it's important to understand that, and I know that the governor always mentions the farmers and the agricultural side. And so, you know, Minnesota's food and agricultural producers will retain that duty-free access. And, you know, as with NAFTA, they will see and probably increase a market access in Canada for dairy, poultry, and eggs. So anyway, enough for trade, but um, you know, Minnesota is honored to celebrate such important and historical dates with all of you here today. And uh, you know, my favorite movie says, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, but let me tell you, and let me rephrase it by saying, this is the continuation of a beautiful friendship. So, bonne fête du Canada, et merci. Thank you so much, Gabrielle, thank you. Ariel. We are so yes. fortunate to have those direct and very, very powerful relationships put together. It seems like you've brought a new energy. You're fairly new, but you're the next in a long line of really fantastic leaders, but bringing a global perspective. And you've been in the U.S. before. Uh, Gabrielle is also our state's chief protocol officer, so she is our special link to consul generals like yourself and to honorary consuls. Um, how do you see that trade relationship and that diplomatic relationship evolving when you look ahead at the next 50 years? Well, first of all, thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be here, as I said, at this point in time. Um, and um, I've really embraced life in Minnesota. It's a great place to be in and to live and to work. Um, I can't but be very optimistic about the next 50 years, um, not just because of the capacity to build on what we've already accomplished that Gabrielle was very eloquent in describing, um, but just because of the deep people-to-people -people connections that exist between uh, your state and our country. Um, and I think those, more than anything, uh, contribute to the underlying uh, lattice work that supports uh, the commercial relationship, 
uh, the links uh, culturally and otherwise that exist between uh, our people. Um, and um, I think that's what positions us uh, for the next 50 years. If we look at USMCA more generally, I think what um, we're given an opportunity to do with that new agreement in place is consolidate the trilateral partnership that exists with Mexico um, to make this trading block even more strong, even more um, uh, high performing uh, to the benefit obviously of our people uh, and our workers in the long term. Thank you. I was uh, in charge of the trade policy for the state when the CUSTA, the Canadian-US trade agreement, which uh, of course is quite a while back, but it's exciting to uh, be able to continue to see and to have this dialogue and discussion about how we go forward. I'm pleased that you mentioned our cultural connections, and I want to introduce our next panel member, David Freher, who was the head of Arts Midwest. Um, Arts Midwest actually covered many states in the Midwest. It's even, it's more like the consul, uh, consulate, which covers number of states. Uh, David's finishing up 35 years, if I have it right, of incredible service, building out the cultural relationships between those of us in the upper Midwest and then with others in other countries. And so um, I wanna thank you for joining us today. And, and uh, you, you have a, a much bigger Midwestern perspective. How do you see this 50 years of our uh, kind of formal partnerships and how do you see arts and culture tying us together with those values um, that the Consul General spoke about? First, thank you so much, Mark, and uh, Consul General, thank you. Merci beaucoup, congratulations on the anniversary and on Canada Day as well. Uh, it, it was fascinating actually, uh, listening to the discussion uh, about trade and to Gabrielle's points because uh, we are actually also in the trade business to a certain extent. Uh, one of my board members all, always referred to it as uh, being involved in uh, the trafficking of art. Uh, we, were, we were trafficking art and culture across boundaries. And our relationship with Canada actually goes back to 1984, right after I first started at Arts Midwest. I think I'd been in my job for probably six weeks. And this is a direct impact of, of the consulate being here in Minneapolis. Uh, one of the people uh, who was a long-term uh, staff member of the consulate, Jerry Foley, uh, who ran a lot of public affairs activities, and cultural affairs programs, a U.S. citizen, local hire, uh, called me up four or five weeks into my tenure, and he invited me to lunch. And I will tell you this, I've always had a predilection towards Canada. I grew up in upstate New York and Rochester across the lake from Toronto, and I think we spent probably half of our summer vacations traveling in Northern Ontario, uh, throughout the Maritime Provinces. My job before I came to Minnesota was working for the governor in Wyoming. And one of the last tasks I had there was going with him on a trade mission to uh, Alberta. And I got into Minnesota and here the first outsider who calls me is calling from the Canadian consulate. And I was thrilled, I said, absolutely, let's have lunch. And Jerry introduced me to the work of the consulate and their interest in uh, promoting arts and cultural activities from Canada, uh, talking about some of the challenges that they were facing and some of the opportunities. And again, uh, going back to Gabrielle, Jerry's, Jerry's final words at the end of lunch literally were, I think we're going to be very good friends. And we were. Uh, that lunch led to uh, several invitations to come to Canada, to see new work, to meet with uh, council, arts council leaders in the provinces, to meet with folks at the National Arts Council, uh, to meet with our colleagues who were uh, developing and working on uh, performing arts trade uh, expositions, and it steamrolled. Uh, over, especially I would say over the first 10 or 15 years into a really robust platform of activity 
where we were exchanging art back and forth. We were exchanging artists. We were discussing policies. We were sharing policy development, sharing new practices. We built state-to-state -state relationships between the Dakotas, for instance, and uh, folks in Manitoba uh, with our, our colleagues in, in Ontario. So there was a lot of interchange, but it all grew out of the base relationship that we had with the consulate here. Uh, we cover most of their states, uh, and they helped introduce us to uh, additional consuls general in uh, Detroit uh, area. So we picked up that region as well. And uh, it's, it's been a remarkable process. As I've looked across my career and understand this work, uh, what I realized is that, you know, consuls general, embassies, folks who are doing this work, who are working in public diplomacy, uh, and especially in cultural diplomacy, the work they're doing is, is not transactional. Uh, it's relational. Uh, and it's about kind of planting these little trees uh, at the beginning of a, of a relational process and knowing that those trees are going to grow into a, a much bigger forest uh, with time. So that you've actually transformed at the end of all of it, you've transformed the, a set of expectations. Our people in the Midwest now actually expect to have relationships with their counterparts in Canada. They expect to know and understand what Canadian artists and culture has to offer. Uh, they work as partners. Uh, they're not viewed as some extraneous thing, unlike the weather map. Uh, we actually think and see a North America that has Canada clearly written on it uh, and uh, the, that work exchanges. So we wouldn't have been there without Jerry Foley's phone call. We wouldn't have been there without the good partnership of all of the consuls general and the staff at the consulate uh, with my good friend uh, Rob Pengelly now. Uh, so we've, we've done this work a long time, but we've done it together. David, you tell a very powerful story about what can start from a seedling and grow into a forest. One thing about our region, and I'm hearing in your story, this is true also in Canada, is a kind of a great diversity. I mean, we think of it as a region, a Midwest, you know, that sort of thing. But we know that the art and culture within it displays a kind of diversity of the people who come here 10,000 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 400 years ago and as recently as the last decade. How do you see us with that diversity being a partner with Canada in a moment when people really are trying to have a more honest, a more authentic conversation about uh, things that are really cultural, things that sometimes we don't understand because we don't have enough cultural connection to really be able to. Uh, seems like that's a role of the artist in our society. How do you see that right now in relation to Canada? That's a huge question, Mark, and it's a, it's a very complicated one. But I want to actually start, before I go deeper into my response with it, I think one of the sad things that I felt throughout the years is that uh, the education in, just to be blunt, the education in the United States does not inform our population that Canada is a unique culture in and of itself. It has this very unique and remarkable history and we know so little about it. Uh, and Canadians are not Americans who live north of the border, not United States citizens who live north of the border. Their expectations, their underlying principles are very, very different from ours. And so just starting with that as a base uh, is important to begin that point. Uh, I also remember probably 25 years ago, uh, sitting with a colleague in Canada, when we were talking at that point about cultural diversity as a concept within the United States. And 
there was this conversation about, well, you know, the U.S. has kind of viewed itself as a melting pot in creating these cultures and blah, 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 blah. And Canada was kind of ahead of us on a lot of that thinking at that point because they were talking actually about a cultural mosaic. They were talking about bringing together these remarkably different and unique, beautiful cultures and not trying to merge them into this pot, but actually have them be represented and be whole and be part of the whole, but still be unique and beautiful within their space. Uh, I think we have a lot to learn about that. I think when you're talking about native cultures, there is no border. Uh, you know, the, the, the tribes that are the, 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 the tribal nations, yes, they have to deal with, with political boundaries, but culturally there is not a border there. Uh, we saw that extensively when we started to try and do some work around the Great Lakes. Uh, and we were looking at how do we actually understand the culture of the lakes uh, and the people that have, have lived there and live there now. And uh, to, to build that out more, it, it really becomes quite remarkable. I think that we are all faced with having to understand uh, our history better, to dig into our history, possibly to learn, you know, how we've welcomed people and how we have not been welcoming and how we also have taken space and land that wasn't necessarily ours to begin with and how we're dealing with it. Canada, in terms very specifically with the Canada Council, how the Canada Council now, the Canada Arts Council, is dealing with actually, uh, frankly, reparations for their, their native communities is quite remarkable. And it's a, a model for all of us to study and look at. Uh, so I think we've got, a, we've got a, 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 some good opportunities for conversations. We just haven't moved those forward. Council General, you kicked us off in really underlining the cultural connections. It's a beautiful story and it seems like your council really helped to make this all happen. Um, well, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, David started by referring to uh, one of uh, really the legendary figures who've uh, served in this Council of General, and that's Jerry Foley. Um, but I think what David's very warm remarks about the cultural ties between Canada speaks to is that at the root, um, it's those cultural connections that make it possible for our countries to understand one another as they do. Uh, I mean, we really don't have a closer relationship than the one that Can Canadians enjoy with Americans. And that's true across the border. And it's interesting listening to, to David, hearing about you know, uh, his various points along the way where he's kind of observed that, whether it was you know, living in upstate New York, not very far from where I grew up, or um, you know, working with uh, the government of uh, Wyoming. Um, what I really wanted to zero in on in terms of uh, David's intervention was the links that he made about our native peoples. And I think that was really important. One of the things that gave me enormous pleasure early in my tenure here, you know, about a year ago, um, you may recall this, David, but uh, we put on in partnership with the Minnesota Institute of Art, Minneapolis Institute of Art, um, an exhibit uh, last summer that ran for several weeks called Hearts of Our People that showcased mm -hmm indigenous female artists from mm -hmm. across the continent. And we you know, were able to bring a couple of the artists whose work uh, was showcased at that exhibit here to talk um, about their art to Minnesotans. And in one instance, I went one evening to an event at the Institute and I really be candid expected that you know, there would be a very modest audience of people interested in that subject. And to my delight, I arrived in, in, at the Institute and an auditorium was packed full of people, obviously people who have an enjoyment and affinity for the arts, but of course, the vast majority of them, no doubt Americans and Minnesotans more narrowly, um, who wanted to hear and were, uh, as much as I was, mesmerized in hearing this indigenous artist, female artist from Ontario, talk about her art and what it symbolized and 
its ties to the earth and the environment that we share. Again, David alluded to that in terms of um, the culture around the identification that people on the Canadian side of the lakes and on this side of the lakes have. That's driven by that shared geographical space. So, um, David, thank you very much for, for shining a really interesting spotlight on um, the relationship between our people centered around culture. And I look forward in the course of my next many years here, uh, once we get past COVID-19, frankly, to be able to see more of those exchanges. Uh, I'll close by saying one thing, you know, one of my real regrets with uh, COVID-19, I mean, it, it doesn't, of course, begin to rise to the significant human toll it's taken on our people, both in Canada and the United States. But in combination with our 50th anniversary, in a month or so, we were going to be welcoming for two weeks here at the Orpheum Theater, uh, the production of Come From Away, uh, which is, again, an emblematic story of the unique bonds that link our two countries and our two people. Um, the good news is, although it's postponed and we won't be able to market this year in our 50th anniversary, um, it has already announced that it will be coming in fall of next year, September 2021. And in fact, if you have tickets for that event, uh, your tickets will be valid on the same days of the two-week run, um, but in September 2021. And we look forward to that as just the latest, and, and hopefully between now and then, there will be other manifestations of the cultural connections between Canada and the United States and Canada and Minnesota. That's really great news. And I'm so grateful that you brought up that exhibit, uh, that exhibit of Native women's art was for many of us the finest show ever at an amazing Minneapolis Institute of Art. And some pieces of it you can see online. So uh, if you missed that or you want to be reminded, uh, thank you, Consul General, for bringing that up. And it is a real opportunity for us uh, to remember and then to commit ourselves to continuing that kind of exchange and that kind of remembrance going forward. We have another way that we share, we share our environment. Sometimes it's big and bold like the Great Lakes and sometimes it's in microscopic particles like acid rain and we've been very, very fortunate to have both agreements but also the people to implement agreements between our two regions, uh, not just Minnesota but our whole Great Lakes region. And in that role in Minnesota today at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, uh, Laura Bishop, who came to that position from leading sustainability and corporate responsibility at Best Buy, uh, someone who also gives of her time to the community, including being on the dean's, chairing the dean's advisory of my alma mater, the Humphrey School. Um, but I'd like to bring uh, Commissioner Bishop into the conversation and hear her perspective on the importance of the collaboration uh, be between our uh, state and the Canadians on protecting the environment, but also thinking about those seven generations that are out there in front of us. You need to unmute. Yes, I do. Thank you so much. Thanks for welcoming me. And it's really my pleasure to be here with all of you and to celebrate uh, Canada Day and this significant milestone for the uh, consulate here in Minnesota and this Midwest office. So you can see my Minnesota or my Canadian flag behind me. We have uh, Canadians in our house. My husband's family is from Canada. And so um, we ha have a dear uh, place in our heart and spend some time up in Winnipeg as well. So uh, that Manitoba border, um, we see a lot of people come in from uh, Winnipeg down here into Minnesota. So we're fortunate that uh, my husband's mother and family are there too. So um, one thing that I would talk about, certainly there's a lot of issues on the environment and these cross-border issues. And we're really um, pleased that we can look at kind of this multi-jurisdictional uh, issues. And you mentioned the Great Lakes. I sit on the Great Lakes Commission um, and with our shared uh, border with 
uh, Lake Superior, uh, the Great Lakes become a, a real big uh, issue of ways that we can look at our uh, shared waters and protective of our waters. And um, those are both, um, and the other significant piece is our Red River. So that flows straight up to, flows north into uh, Lake Winnipeg. And so there's a lot of different um, ways that we're looking at how we tackle uh, nutrient reduction and other ways to keep algae blooms and uh, protect the water up there in uh, Lake Winnipeg. The other ways that uh, we work jointly, uh, the uh, International Joint Commission is uh, something between the U.S. and um, Canada that we share and that's what I talked about with the international or the International Red River Board and the strategies that we're looking at as well. And then finally, we look to Canada a lot for policy ideas. Um, and one of those, we have a active rulemaking underway here in Minnesota, which uh, we've signaled our notice of intent to adopt rules and are looking at a draft rule called Clean Cars Minnesota. What this would do would bring electric vehicles to the state of Minnesota um, and more options for consumers. At the same time, it would uh, clean up our air and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And some of those ideas were getting straight from uh, Canada. And uh, we've worked very closely with the province of Quebec on their zero emissions vehicle um, policies and how they have implemented those and what they've learned from that. And I think that's a significant piece of just sharing policy ideas and learning uh, that we'll continue to do uh, given our proximity to the border and the great, um, the, uh, great partnership that we have with Canada. We're committed in Minnesota to fighting climate change and really addressing these issues and learning from those that um, are doing it really well, and we've seen that. Uh, Canada has continued to stay in the Paris Agreement, and um, the U.S., while uh, uh, at the national leadership, uh, looks at ways to kind of uh, maybe back out uh, of the Paris Agreement. The state of Minnesota is still in. We um, have signed on to the U.S. Climate Alliance and really working on our climate goals and uh, greenhouse gas emissions reductions that we can stay in and meet the climate goals of the Paris Agreement alongside Canada. Yes, I, I remember mm -hmm. that we had partnerships on buses that were moving towards hybrid buses. And uh, do we mm -hmm. keep those kinds of job and clean up the environment linked projects underway here in Minnesota? Yeah, we certainly do. Um, the buses and that transit piece is a big piece of it, but what we're finding is the biggest source of pollutions and greenhouse gas emissions is in our um, transportation sector with regard to passenger vehicles. So that's why we're looking at, you know, we Minnesotans, as many Canadians, we like our trucks and we want to keep those trucks, but we want to allow for more options so that if you want your SUV, you can have it, but Let's preserve that ice that we want to drive that SUV out onto and uh, go ice fishing. Let's preserve that, but uh, allow for cleaner air and more efficient vehicles to come into the state as well. Well, I'm a very happy owner of an all-electric car, and I can tell people watching, you know, you never have to go to the gas station or to the repair shop ever. It is right. amazing, but it's also this ability to learn from each other. We've heard also about learning from each other about cultural matters, about matters that have mm -hmm. to do with the land and land rights. We learn from each other uh, also about things that we hadn't really considered. And so it seems like there's a practical part of the partnership and collaboration there's a big water system and there's several water systems and rainy and there's lots of lakes and things that are border to border and the voyagers and right. all of that. But there's also the learning from thinking into the future and how do we build an economy 
And I know that uh, the US and Canada have come to some recent agreements about uh, responsible mining and some mining questions that to do. Uh, Minnesota is a state historically a very important mining state. And I know at Global Minnesota, we, we get requests from people working on mining in Africa who really it's the continent that has all the precious metals and minerals we need for the green future. How is that part of, as you look ahead in our relationship with Canada, what are some of those pieces that can give us uh, uh, some bright, some little light up ahead? And it's kind of a tough moment, you know, in general. I love these these great stories that yeah. you have. Yeah, no, I think that that's an important one. And certainly, I mean, what we need to do is ensure that the mining businesses that we have in our state, and of course, uh, in Canada as well, uh, as they're doing the regulations that are in place that will allow for them to be successful, but also allow for them to um, protect the environment, which they must. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I come from a business where, you know, I truly believe that the environment and uh, your business can go hand in hand. Um, you can be successful and the more successful businesses have a great plan for the environment because they know it's it, essential yeah. to their livelihood and future. So um, our mining minds are looking at that as well. And um, we think that we need to, you know, be really careful. I mean, we're seeing this with some of the new mining projects that uh, like the polymet mine, which has been um, somewhat controversial, but requiring that they put in very strict permits, um, which is probably the most stringent permit that we've seen that requires a reverse osmosis system to keep the sulfates um, out of the water uh, downstream and ensure that we are um, protective of our water bodies and our wild rice and respective of um, our tribal nations and uh, the wild rice, which is so vital to them as well. Well, Council General, you're Mm -hmm. uh, the other half of the protecting the world's largest freshwater pool. Uh, and I think those collaborations, I think that international joint agreement is from 100 years ago, yeah, roughly long, speaking. Long-standing. It's the longest one in the, in the planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you see those next 50 years and some of the things that uh, uh, Commissioner Bishop was referring to? Um, well, I, I think she identified some of the challenges and and I think she also put her finger on some of the obvious solutions. And I endorse entirely what she said with respect to um, the interreliance between business, commerce, trade on the one hand, and sustainability and a clean environment. Um, and you know, Canadians and Americans, and especially Americans in this part of the country, as I've come to realize, really treasure their natural resources. We're blessed; both countries are to have such an abundance of minerals and forests and, and oil and you know other natural attributes that give us a lot of what we need. That's not a, uh, something to take lightly and that's not something most countries in the world you know, can take for granted the way we can. Um, but we have to harness those riches and assets in a way that's sustainable, that's respectful of um, our people, uh, indigenous people in particular. And I think we've come a long way in both countries in recognizing that in the work that we do uh, to, sh- to ensure that when we're doing things um, like mining or like oil exploration, um, we're doing so in a process that is transparent, that is well-regulated, and that engages fully um, the communities, particularly our indigenous communities that are likely to be affected by the work that we're going to be doing together. Ultimately, that work we hope will benefit all of us, um, you know, whether it's being able to uh, afford the electricity that powers our homes and our cars and our businesses, or, or um, you know, whether it's the rare earth minerals that we need for a lot of the conveniences that we take for granted, um, that we often have to rely on, you know, other less reliable partners for, um, and so it's encouraging to me that uh, when it comes to those areas of common endeavor, um, we work together rather than um, in opposition to one another, 
and there's still a lot for us to be doing, but uh, I'm encouraged and positive about the outlook um, in the next 50 years uh, uh, to use that milestone given where we are today. But um, yeah, and, and I appreciate enormously the work that uh, we do with uh, our colleagues on this side of the border in Minnesota, whether it's at the Pollution Control Agency, whether it's with the state generally, whether it's the Public Utilities Commission, uh, those partnerships are essential to our, our mutual well-being. Well, I think the thing that's important is that we all, as people who love Minnesota and Canada and this region, we can know that these affairs are not simple, but they're in really good hands. And a year from now, when we gather to celebrate Canada Day again, um, you know, hopefully the world will be not quite so upside down. But what we know is that we will be struggling to make sure that the future generations, and they're pushing right on us now, uh, can say, you know, they took some steps that were really important. They're going to have to take other steps, but it's because we set aside the values that said we're not going to sacrifice one for the other. And that seems to be the important thing going forward. So thank you again, Commissioner Bishop. And thank you. Congratulate that Canadian in your house. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> the other thing that we share is the border. It's kind of a, seems rhetorical to say, uh, but we're really uh, fortunate today to have Chief Referral Agent Bill Maddox, who is responsible for our office um, up at uh, Grand Forks. And he's the person, uh, came here from a similar position in Vermont, um, who coordinates and is responsible for uh, the customs and border work of our region. And I wanna uh, welcome uh, Agent Maddox to the panel and just uh, appreciate you uh, giving us a perspective. You've come out here from Vermont, another state with a, a lot of close ties to Canada and, uh, uh, and you're relatively new here. How have you experienced and what do you see in terms of our collaboration? Welcome, very good to see you here. All right, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. And uh, first and foremost, I wanted to uh, um, say Happy Canada Day to to all of the panelists, as well as all of the uh, the folks that are watching. Uh, uh, one of the common themes that I've heard through um, all of the speakers today is, is partnership, or as Ariel said, the the people to people relationships that uh, that we not only have but that we enjoy across the borders. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, point out that that the border control on both sides of the country is is provided by many different agencies, and and we all collaborate together. Um, and on the uh, on the U.S. side, um, most of us fall under Customs and Border Protection, and so you see me here in a green uniform. Um, we're responsible for patrolling the borders in between uh, the uh, in between the ports of entry, and. Office of Field Operations, also under CBP, man the ports of entry. So they're primarily uh, facilitating that legal trade and travel. While on the Border Patrol side, we are controlling the borders, um, stopping the illegal movement of people and goods and or contraband across the borders. Um, and in doing so, we're also facilitating uh, that fair legal trade and travel by preventing um, you know, that, that illegal activity, the introduction of counterfeit goods, things of that nature that, uh, that are destructive to, um, to the economic ties that both of our nations uh, appreciate and enjoy. Uh, again, if we didn't have strong border enforcement on both sides, um, we couldn't. We couldn't have fair and legal travel and we'd be purchasing counterfeit goods, purchasing goods that circumvented uh, the fees that, uh, that, the border, that, that are incurred at the border uh, that, that are put in place by both countries in order to, uh, again, to facilitate that fair and legal travel. Um, so with, with some of the common themes I have with, with all of the panelists today, I, I touch on a little bit of those things uh, for, for each one of them. Uh, we talked about, uh, Gabriel and David both talked about trade. Uh, and I spoke to that a little bit on, on the natural resources. When we look at the, the border area, between Minnesota and Canada, we've got some of the most beautiful, pristine landscapes that North America mm -hmm. enjoys. Right? We've got that. Uh, we've got Lake Superior, which is which is just grand. It's huge. Lake of the Woods, um, beautiful, beautiful area. And a lot of these are pristine 
created during the glacial periods that we can never remake during our lifetimes or the course of generation after generation. So we need to preserve those areas. So on the enforcement side, some of the things that we do in order to facilitate such preservation is to discourage any illegal activity. Obviously those folks that are engaged in illegal activity may not be so inclined to preserve nature as the rest of us would. When we, um, when we patrol in some of those areas, we try to leave as light of a footprint as possible in doing so. So for instance, we'll patrol by canoe as opposed to driving vehicles or trying to take motorboats. We wanna follow the same rules that we expect uh, those folks that are enjoying those areas uh, to use. That way we're doing the least damage possible, right? Even though we have to be there to patrol, we wanna maintain those natural resources just to like, just like everybody else. We enjoy them just like everybody else. We want our families and our future generations to also um, be able to appreciate those. Um, some of the things we do uh, between both countries is we have uh, the integrated border enforcement teams. Uh, within my AOR, uh, we've got three. Uh, two of those primarily will, will function out of Minnesota. Those are the IBETs in Red River and uh, the Superior IBET, which is, which is over there um, right on the uh, uh, coast of, of Lake Superior. And by working together, the, the components that work in those, that being the uh, CBP, the United States Coast Guard, RCMP, CBSA. Uh, we work together in order to address illegal cross-border activity. Again, facilitating that fair legal travel and trade. And um, within Minnesota, we've got five border patrol stations. A lot of people don't know because they're, they're small. We don't have a huge footprint, but we've got five border patrol stations uh, with agents assigned that patrol those borders, uh, ranging from uh, Pemba to North Dakota uh, on the west side. And uh, we've got uh, and then five more all the way over to Duluth. And uh, we, uh, we enjoy the partnership and uh, appreciate all of the efforts that we have. And we talk about the people to people relationships, for instance, um, and of course we're all dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. Um, before the COVID-19, I, I traveled up to Winnipeg to meet with uh, Jay McClatchy, who's the RCMP uh, commander of Division D and Glenn Sells, who uh, covers the uh, organized crime branch. And then all of my subordinate managers and leaders at those border patrol stations also require them uh, to have similar type of relationships with the local counterparts so that they're working together, coordinating efforts, one, to, uh, to maintain that legal, fair and, uh, legal and fair trade and travel, uh, but also to facilitate the legal travel. Um, so that, uh, Kick back so to you for it's our, wonderful uh, to hear um, this way that you both see the cooperation, but also the relationship building. And I think for some of us who, you know, canoe between, you know, Boundary Waters and Voyagers and you stop and you sign, you know, there are just a, you know, it's kind of a miracle how the relations between the nations then get translated down to the relations between those who have responsibilities for protecting the border, protecting the environment. But it is back to that question of relationships. And Consul General Deluia, you've been the person who's constantly in our um, interactions and in meetings, uh, really talking about that relationships. And you know, there's a border, and it got hammered out at a few different treaty writing and maybe a couple wars or two. And so there is an element but we have these things like air that don't pay attention or water that can flow either ways and so people have to be involved and those people have to know and trust each other and it feels like um uh agent maddox and his team and the folks at the mounties on the other side and the folks here in the consulate and i know our consul general up in winnipeg had a very uh, powerful message today uh canada day um, we're about to wrap up here. How do you see um, the sort of moment that we are in this odd world, but here we are. How do you see the, the one year from now, we gather again, we're, we're, we do it in person again, down on the Mississippi River. What will you open with at your speech that makes us all just remember how happy we are to sing 
O Canada, even at a baseball game? Well, you just touched on two things that really strike a chord with me, and that's uh, being able to celebrate this kind of an event in person. And I think my first words, uh, uh, hopefully next July 1st, will be something along the lines of, it's so good to be back together among friends, as opposed to uh, doing it virtually, which is you know, satisfying in terms of being able to reach out to all of you wonderful people, but it's not the same, obviously, as being in person uh, as we were last year, Harriet Island, uh, Mark, you'll recall. Um, I, I want to start, first of all, by uh, thanking Agent Maddox for his service and the work he does every day, along with his colleagues from the Border Patrol and other law enforcement bodies on both sides of the border, uh, because at our core, as governments, as figures in governments, um, our first role is to safeguard our citizens and protect our borders against threats, be they, uh, you know, foreign in the form of um, military threats or terroristic threats, or as we discovered, um, you know, but viruses and pandemics don't know borders either. Um, so, first of all, thank you to Agent Maddox for, for the vital work he does. Uh, you know, his role is important. Um, and I look forward to, to talking with him one day about, uh, given that he was in Vermont uh, in the not too recent past, uh, one of my favorite examples of the Canada-US relationship is a small town that uh, he will know um, on the Vermont side called Derby Line, which straddles literally the border with a Quebec town called Stansted in my province. Um, but, you know, I, I think when we look ahead next year, um, it'll be a very different environment. Uh, in the sense that uh, we presumably will be um, dealing with this pandemic differently. We'll have, we can hope, uh, a virus, uh, uh, sorry, a vaccine in place that will enable us to return to full normal, not a quote-unquote new normal. Um, but we'll be able to celebrate it in person um, and, um, and talk in person about those ties that uh, we've spent the the better part of the last hour talking about that really span every sphere of, of activity between people, uh, whether it's you know crossing to go fishing, whether it's you know sharing our, our music or our works of art, um, or whether it's doing business and you know having Winnipeggers and people from Thunder Bay come across the border to watch the Blue Jays play um, at Target Field against the Twins, and you know that's another thing you alluded to, Mark and. and I really miss the fact that that likely won't happen this year um, because that was a, you know, something that I took for granted last summer when I went to enjoy uh, the Blue Jays. It was in April. It wasn't a very warm summer evening by any means, but it was still nice to be able to um, see Canadian soldiers uh, uh, walking alongside um, their U.S. brothers and sisters as they were presenting the colors of our respective nations. And, and that's the sort of thing I miss. And and that I look forward to when we come to this time of the year and celebrate Canada Day and then literally three days later celebrate uh, the 4th of July. And, uh, you know, growing up again in Canada, um, I would always watch American television on the 4th of July and see the great fireworks displays that would be broadcast on our, uh, you know, upstate New York stations uh, broadcasting to us uh, the fireworks and celebrations on the mall and elsewhere in the United States um, that remind us that we have a shared history and that remind us that although we were born differently, uh, you were born of revolution, we were born later in a different set of circumstances, um, but we again share a past. We share uh, a British uh, past and in our case a dual Franco-British past um, and that's a part of the fabric that unites us in a very, in a very, very unique way as neighbors and as uh, cousins who are divided by a line um, that interestingly uh, leaves little anomalies like the Northwest Angle that I, I have a lot of interest in these days uh, because of uh, the border measures that uh, uh, Agent Maddox will know all about. Uh, uh, but in our joint effort to combat the threat that COVID-19 poses, we regrettably had to limit a little bit of the traffic at the border, not the trade uh, traffic, not the essential travel between Canadians and Americans that 
need to cross to provide uh, you know, their services, their talents, healthcare workers, truckers, and so on. Um, but we really look forward to, and that's again, something I would want to emphasize, uh, hopefully long before we get to July 1st, 2021, but I look forward to that normal flow of traffic just between ordinary Canadians and Americans uh, going across the border to enjoy one another's national parks and rivers and lakes and mountains and cities and shopping malls and all that activity that we really took for granted up until you know, late March when we were forced to confront a new reality that uh, is not one that we've ever experienced before, at least not in any of our living memories. Uh, you know, the Spanish flu was more than 100 years ago. Um, so I guess I'd close, Mark, with the following thoughts that, you know, and again, thank you and thank Global Minnesota for this remarkable occasion today to celebrate uniquely Canada Day in this current environment. Um, but it's gatherings like these that bring us together, that reminds us how much we share and, and collaborate across the border. Um, and that the more we continue to work together, whether it's managing our environment jointly, whether it's combating the threats that we face, whether it's pandemics or climate change or security threats that you know, uh, some of uh, those that don't wish us well would want to visit upon us, um, that we are stronger because we work together. We are stronger because we are friends, allies, and partners. And so my closing words are, Happy Canada Day, happy 4th of July. Uh, may those uh, great dates, July 1st and July 4th, uh, augur well for another uh, remarkable um, number of uh, centuries uh, ahead as uh, partners, um, and more importantly, as uh, friends and, and neighbors and family. Thank you for those inspiring words. And I'm reminded that right behind you is our Minnesota flag. Our motto, La Toile du Nord, is a reminder of our shared French background. But I want to say that that motto, a North Star, Star of the North, today we heard about two stars of the North, Minnesota and Canada. What an inspiring group of speakers and presentations. Thank you for helping make this day happen. But also, thank you for being a star of the North for those of us who love to learn from Canada. And we hope that we're able to keep this exchange going. So a year from now, we are truly celebrating the next way, the next future, the next 50 years. Thank you again to all of our viewers, our panel members, the whole team at Global Minnesota, and that amazing team at the consulate there in uh, in Minnesota that has been for 50 years helping to plant the trees that have now grown into a force of friendship. And we plan on keeping those trees strong, healthy for the next 50 years and beyond. Thank you again and goodbye everybody. Hello, my name is Patrick Coleman. I'm a senior curator at the Minnesota Historical Society. And I would like to uh, join in and congratulate the Canadian Consulate in Minnesota for uh, being here for 50 years. Uh, you might remember that uh, we collaborated a couple of times before with the uh, Consulate. Uh, once when the, uh, the Consulate celebrated its 40th anniversary and um, there was a celebration at the History Center and we had a display of some of our great collections of uh, Canadiana in the Historical Society. We also uh, collaborated again in, um, um, when we borrowed an exhibit from uh, the uh, Canadian Embassy on the War of 1812, and again, we put out some of our great collections. What I'd like to do is, um, uh, over the course of this year, show you some of those collections and um, we'll get into some pretty wonderful material. Uh, we just bought a 1619 Champlain. Uh, we have uh, early maps of uh, Canada and the Great Lakes. Uh, we have travel and exploration. And then we have things that are a little bit more um, ephemeral, I guess you'd say. 
And I want to show you two things uh, now that uh, will maybe whet your appetite for when we can be back in the building and uh, the production values can increase a little bit. A lot of things in our collection are just, you know, odd and, uh, and ephemeral and maybe not uh, that important, but kind of fun. Uh, one piece of ephemera is the proposed United Nations headquarters uh, that was to be built on Navy Island in Niagara Falls. And the committee that was promoting this site for the UN headquarters uh, published a beautiful pamphlet. And I'd just like to show you, uh, to give you a feel for the pamphlet. Uh, this is, is an illustration from the center of the pamphlet showing the Niagara Falls in the background and the beautiful UN headquarters uh, on the peaceful boundary between the United States and Canada. I kind of wish they would have done that rather than built the, uh, the UN headquarters in New York. Here's a map of where it would have been located. And this is the, uh, an example of the kind of thing that we have in the collections not even um, uh, especially cataloged as a piece of Canadiana. Uh, the other thing to whet your appetite, and we'll talk more about uh, some literature afterwards, but uh, Dan Brennan was a Minnesota author. He was actually born in North Dakota, but lived in Minnesota. And he joined the Canadian Air Force uh, early on in World War II to uh, fight fascism. Uh, he became a tail gunner and um, uh, after the war, worked for Hubert Humphrey uh, as mayor of Minneapolis and uh, kept writing novels. His first two novels were really wonderful uh, and um, kind of extraordinary uh, depictions of uh, flying bombing missions in World War II. Uh, this poignant title, Never So Young Again, was really true for Dan Brennan. Um, he, I'm sure, suffered from some form of PTSD after the war and he went on after writing two wonderful books to uh, writing more softcore pornography, but um, I do recommend uh, these books uh, to you as a, um, an American who um, had to go to Canada to uh, fight the Nazis. Uh, more later, we'll look forward to uh, showing you some other gems from our collection.